Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. LMFM Podcasts, brought to you with Cart Macross Credit Union. Getting hitched? Cart Macross Credit Union likes to say I do when financing your wedding loan. O'Neill Street, Cart Macross or cartmacrosscu.ie. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Get lowest can be APR, zero deposit required and finance arranged within four hours with all 192 pre-ordered Renaults. What are you waiting for? There's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Drogheda or Cavan. You're very welcome to Tuesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. We're with you for the next couple of hours. We'll meet a young man from Clotterhead who's a double world swim champion. Barbara Kelly's with us to answer your questions of a personal nature. And Brenda Cassidy's dropping in as well. She's the developer of a brilliant thing called Brain Calm. And it's to do with your children if they're challenged in in any way. I promise you'll be very interested to hear what Brenda has to say. If you want to get in touch with us on the show, it's 86 658 by WhatsApp or text. Now, let's begin today. Uh, you will have heard and read and probably know if you're in touch with news in the last 24 hours or so. Proposals to liberalise the laws on cannabis and other illegal drugs are coming before the government our cabinet in particular in the coming weeks. It's a divisive matter with those in favour uh, equally opposed on the other side. Marie Barn, founder of the Ashton Group and a counsellor who specialises specialises in dealing with addictions, with more than three decades experience in the field, joins me now to have her say, and she's also with MB Now International. Marie, you're very welcome back to Late Thanks, Lunch. Jay. Thank Good you for back. joining me. Look at is this a one-sided debate or discussion so far with those pro uh, the legalisation of cannabis for medicinal purposes and pro relaxing the sanctions really hogging the argument? Is that fair to say? Yes, it is. I mean, I have uh, recordings going back about 20 years, believe it or not, where it showed um, one particular person saying that if we can get drugs legalised or cannabis uh, legalised for medicinal use, we will get all drugs legalised. Make no mistakes that this argument is extremely corrupt, very, very corrupt, and it's all about making billions of dollars. Um, It's already been done in Colorado where they have absolutely horrendous problems now with the age group that has dropped and the A&Es are full of people being admitted for cannabis related issues and and uh, as you were saying there you know we recently we've been looking at situations where the medicinal 
use of cannabis, but it's not about smoking cannabis as a medicine. Cannabis is not a medicine, has never been designated as one. There is a particular a chemical in it that has been researched that some people may find useful in some circumstances. But if you are smoking the whole joint or the whole uh, taking the whole product, it also lowers your immune system and this is when people need it most. Uh, we have seen recently as well that there have been um, a number of seizures in the city from CBD oil, which was the one always people putting out as the godsend um, the medical cure for everything. But what they're doing is selling illegally um, CBD oils and we have no idea what's in them, what chemicals. And it has been seen that in some, the content of THC, which is the addictive uh, product, is extremely high. So please tread very carefully on being used. So medicinally and, you know, you'll hear people say, oh, it's made an awful difference to me. You know what I mean? That I, I, I've used this and I, it really is proving beneficial you, you, you're unsure. You, you, you're not. Well, I've heard that from yes. people myself, but then we've never gone back and asked them maybe a year later, how are mm. you progressing on that? Mm. And if they're actually using the full drug and smoking cannabis, there are side effects from it, which present um, at recovery programs every day, uh, where there can have, it can have psychotic effects. Um, it can cause a schizophrenia-like behaviour, aggression. Uh, and this is affecting young people age 14 and upwards. And I know that the Loud area at the moment is seeing unprecedented problems from drug-related issues. But when you look at the people who actually pushed for legalisation in the UN um, internationally, it was, for instance, Mexico and Colombia and all the countries that you would think would lose out if they legalised. Well, it's obvious that they're going to make money. Uh, which is what's happening in uh, Colorado and California at the moment, is that some of your very, very well-known brands that you think are very pro-children are trying to get in on on selling cannabis-related products at the moment. So be very careful. It's a smokescreen. And also, I think, and I've said this to you before, Terry, I think we have an election coming on at the moment. We genuinely, when we're putting people into those positions of power, we should be drug testing them. Without a shadow of a doubt, because I am, I have found in all my life's experience that those who pushed for legalisation generally have either used and didn't have a problem, so the thing no one else has, or else they're using at the moment. And we certainly know that there are a couple of them who have said openly that they use, but one or two don't use when they're in Ireland. They smoke outside where it's legalised. It's not a suspicion you have or something you know. No, they've said it openly, publicly. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm not saying anything that's untrue. Yes. I certainly know uh and not certainly if somebody came to me that's a different uh, situation because it's confidential and mm. uh, I don't disclose any information from that. But I certainly know from my conversations that for instance someone said, "Yes, I do smoke it, but you know the way it is." And I said, "No, I don't because you're pushing medical use marijuana when you're you know, smoking it yourself. Mm. And you also have people in very, very prestigious positions who, uh, for instance, if you have someone running for an election and they're in a position where they can change the laws or push for laws or give money to those who want to bring in drugs, then honestly, we need to wake up and start drug testing and see what are the main objectives of those people that we put into power in the next week. 
but we have to think of our children and what we can do to prevent it. When you talk about children, I was just having a look there. Uh, cannabis from the 1980s and 90s is uh, quite tame stuff compared to the cannabis that you're talking about today uh, and, and, and that it, that is available. And also as well, you know, with adolescents and young people, I'm sure you've come across this, the psychosis that can result, uh, you know, having to then seek help from a, a mental health point of view, from professionals and institutions. That is a fact of life, is it, with this? Oh, absolutely. Um, I've seen, you know, people know that in the past I have gone into court situations with young people who have been up on drug related issues and the difference between them when they have been using from age 13 or 14 and they may be arrested for doing something at age 17 or 18 and when they come off all drugs is just there is no comparison um, because their behaviour changes so um, into such a negative way. Uh, from being aggressive and there are there's so many homes around our regions at the moment and and they're quietly discussing this at home but they need to get more active about it and say actually we're trying to defend our children from the drug problem it doesn't mean we're bad parents if they use it means that there's a lot of drugs in ireland and we want to change that, as they did in Sweden. And of course, if you're smoking it, there's the dangers of smoking that we all know about at this stage and the health implications of that as well. That goes along with it. So, you know, when you hear people saying, would it be better to legalise or allow people access to this or have more freedom on it or not be as down much in people? You're not of that view at all. You believe that drugs are a scourge and need to be eliminated. Yeah, they're a multi-billion industry and it uses especially those most vulnerable to make its money. It is not about doing something that makes you feel better about yourself. It means that if you do use it and you have a situation going on behind the drug use, it camouflages it for that short period. And then when you stop, that problem is still there, whether it's could be childhood abuse, it could be bullying at school, it could be just self-esteem is feeling down or just being with people who are using. It's not about being bad or good. It's about using and camouflaging. But when you take away the drugs, you've got to deal with what's behind that. And we're not doing that at the moment in Ireland. And in these regions, we can see how that's multiplied because we haven't dealt with it. Um you know, you know, I worked in Rio, as you know, before in the favelas and so on. Their big problems multiplied when their police forces were reduced, when um, the money was reduced from their social services, and I mean all social services, hospitals, children's service and so on. And they have an unprecedented record for violent crime in their regions. And they've started to pull that back. And how? By taking care of their people taking care of those at grassroots levels, like the children who are showing signs at age 14 of having issues, not when they're 21 and arrested. So we have to go back to grassroots and see what this country is actually about. You mentioned, and you specifically said, people running for office and elections coming up. What about people who have uh, you know, plenty of money to throw around and they're into this and they're buying these drugs, you know what I mean, and using them recreationally at parties and high-profile social gatherings and people like that. Aren't those people equally as responsible for the scourge of drugs by supporting this? Oh, absolutely, totally. Um, And yet they don't really appear on the radar. 
No, because there is a hypocrisy of drug use. There are those who we see as not having a lot of money, maybe, and they're maybe they've got caught up with heroin use or cannabis use or other drugs and their antisocial behaviour. And then there are those who have positions of power. And sadly, we have to change our attitude to that and start questioning it. Um, there's an old saying in Ireland about scratch my back and scratch your back, and that's how we work a little bit differently than other countries. We're quite complex. Um, we keep things going by who you know and been friends with them. But there comes a time when you have to realise that, that not actually opening up a can of worms means that the worms generate more worms. And um, the problem with people who are using coke at high level is that they have positions of responsibility um, that are causing problems in our society. And also you have to remember that there would be no drug barons and drug cartels if we didn't buy from them. So every one of us, if we do something uh, with respect to funding that operation, we are part of the problem. So it's about us taking responsibility for our behaviour and knowing why we shouldn't do these things because are we seeing a positive result from it? If we don't, I'd say everybody go out and smoke it. It's not what I'm seeing. I'm seeing a lot of young people taking their lives. Yeah, no, the reality is totally different. Marie Byrne is staying with us. If you'd like to comment, I'd love to hear from you. This comment's coming to us already. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Or you can call in on 1857-15958. After the break, I'm going to ask Marie to talk about this. 21% of Irish adults have a drink problem. 23%, that's another 23%, are severely at risk. That's nearly 50% of the population who are eligible to drink. And 74% of us say it's part of our culture. Is it really? Stay with us on Late Lunch. Marie, what do you make of those figures I mentioned a moment ago? 21% Irish adults with a drink problem and another 23 on the cusp of it. Uh, over 35% of under 25 is binge drinking. Well, I think it goes back to what we were speaking about earlier. The very reason why um, you will see such a result if you legalise a drug that's mood altering is that you get an increase in addiction and use of that substance. Because the problem we have is that we're human <laughs> and we we see that if something is legal, that it doesn't have a negative consequence and that we're going to have fun on it. And in some cases you can. I'm not being completely boring about this. But the problem you have is that addiction to alcohol is probably the highest um, drug addiction in the country still. And, and it it's happens a legal to be addiction. the legal one. And, you That's know, an le- interesting parallel you make there. That's something that wouldn't have dawned on me. Here you have something that is legal. Yes, and there's a push to have something else made legal. Because legal sounds a little bit safe. It's like saying you can only drive up to the speed of 120 max on the motorway. And honestly, I know that I try and go up. And then I'm thinking, why do I not do that on other roads? Well, it's because it's said that the safest speed you can go at is 120. But we tend to move up to that speed a little bit on a motorway. Yeah. So if you say it's legal people and definitely children because I've spoken with them all over the North East and Ireland and they all say the same thing. Well, if it was so bad for you, why would you legalise it? So you open up the whole um, safe use. Um, People assume that we can control it if we do that. Yes, you could if it was just you in your home, but it's not. It's a massive industry behind it selling it whose main ambition is to make a lot of money 
of people buying it. So that's what you're up against. And it is legal and it is pervasive and it is all over the place and they're trying uh, to tinker with this in government, you know what I mean? Look, I said it to you before, you can walk into any shop, any local shop now and there it is right beside you on the counter. Any amount of wine and drink and beer and spirits. And when I was growing up, well, you had to go to maybe one specific place, an off-licence in a pub or something, to get hold of it. Now, it's everywhere. Yeah, and that's what's changed and you're right. And... um we like, for instance, in Sweden, if you have uh, an alcohol and it's over three point five percent volume, you know, in strength, then once it's over that, it must be sold from uh, what's called like a liquor store, and it's only up to the hours, maybe seven or eight o'clock in the evening. Then it closes down, and people under the age of twenty-one are not allowed in there. So the only alcohol that's legally available uh, would be from. Uh, 3.5 volume, which is a low volume. You also, believe it or not, not allowed to bring takeaways home from pubs. It's controlled through the liquor stores. If you're an adult, you can buy it. You know the times if you're having parties or whatever, and it's over 3.5 volume. But there is no um, freedom of children walking in and buying it. They'd take your licence off you immediately uh, for selling underage. And that would go without saying. Is it making a difference? Uh, in Sweden. Yes, it had. Um, now, they always have alcohol coming in from other countries and so on, but it's not to the same degree as here, where you see young teenagers who are not embarrassed or upset by carrying six packs down the centre of the town or mm. wherever you live. It's not so embarrassing. Now, they might have a can of beer in their hand standing on the street, but is that legal? Because there are local laws that actually ban that. See, we we have laws. We don't need new ones. We just need to uphold the ones we have. <laughs> that might have. We <laughs> Why like, do I laugh at that? Isn't that just a typical Irish thing across the board? Is, yeah. yeah. And it's what makes us get on in other ways in life. We have fantastic mm. sides to us because, but when it comes to criminal activity, you have to deal with it because it's destroying your neighbourhood. Um, so, you know, if you see a 14-year-old with cans of alcohol, it's about everyone being proactive. Like when we were growing up, I know my mother would have absolutely scoured the countryside for us. I was three sisters. So, you know, if she thought you were out there and she couldn't tell where you were. But now children are able to communicate on Snapchat and social media and they plan parties and plan everything. And you can't see it. Mm. So it's another aspect that needs to be monitored very seriously. Just come back to the early days in life at school and in the home. I've said it before, in the home is such... Uh, a place for grounding children and where they grow up and they learn an awful lot of what they learn. But what about when they go into the formal setting of schools and that? Is there more can be done there to, you know, really do show them the the dangers of alcohol and going back to the the cannabis and drugs, etc.? Yeah, I totally agree with you. There's, there's more we can all do because the problem we have here is we have a split, we have split sort of policies. Those that think we'd be better off you know, having young people off drugs, which makes common sense to me. And then there are those who say, oh, well, you can't do anything about that, so we might as well teach them how to use responsibly. But there is no safe use of uh, drugs for an adolescent because they drink to get drunk. They don't sit down and read the newspaper and have a pint. Mm. Who are you going to see a teenager doing that? Mm. <laughs> My friends as teenagers never did it. So we're talking about... If you had everybody working in the same direction instead of pulling against each other, for instance, the guards here at the moment, they deal with the fallout. Uh, 
you'll hate some of them, you'll like some of them, but they deal with the fallout for us. And they'll be the ones who'll be requested to come in and sort out the antisocial behaviour. Um, and their policy is um, that drugs are illegal. But then you have a Prime Minister, or not Prime Minister, sorry, um, the Taoiseach, we'll say, who says that he wants to legalise drugs. So how does that how does that work together? Because the the guards have gone out drug testing young people or adults who are drinking over the limit or using drugs and are a liability on the road. As you know, my mother had her leg cut off when she was hit by a drunk driver on the side of the road. So, you know, you can't take away from the effects of the actual drugs if you use them. And mm. that's what we're talking about here, the negative effects. Absolutely. I uh, have to leave it there today, Marie. Thank you for dropping in to us to cover a couple of topics that are really alive in the press at the moment. Yes, go on, give it a shout out. Don't forget. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that um, people may know I have a book out recently, Angel in the Marble. And if you go to my website, www.mariebyrnenow.com, you'll be able to locate it. But in there, uh, I've tried to put in as much as I could from over the years experience of how to deal with your child, what to watch out for, the corruption that is behind the drugs movement. And also responsibility is some of the financial sector, where we know I've been already once again this week are up for mm. laundering money. I've read this. It's a fantastic book and if you have issues with it or would like to find out more and have a greater understanding, Angel in the Marble and it's mariebarnnow.com It's available there. Until the next time, Marie Barn, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Just to remind you again, they were with us yesterday and we drew finalists number three and four. Yes, Blackstone Motors, the new showrooms in Dundalk. It's fantastic. It's on the Inner Relief Road there. And to celebrate the opening, they're giving away a brand new Renault Clio Dynamic. It's valued at €20,000. How do you get into the draw? You just call into Blackstone Motors in Drogheda or Dundalk, fill in the wee entry form, put it in the box, and next Monday we'll draw the final two finalists. Six people going through to a special late lunch live from Blackstone on the 30th of May. It's that simple. Get into Blackstone, fill in the form and you could win a car. You won't have a better chance or an easier chance. There's nothing else you have to do. And good luck to you with that one. Hopefully we'll be mentioning your name on late lunch on Monday afternoon next. Now, my next guest is a well-known and highly regarded occupational therapist who has practised in our time in London, New York and more recently back home here in Ireland. Brenda Cassidy has three children who all live with sensory issues and has developed a programme called Brain Cam for parents and teachers to help children with various challenges. And I'm delighted she's in studio on late lunch with us this afternoon. Brenda, you're very welcome to the show. Good afternoon, Jerry. Thank you very much for joining me today. Now, let me ask you this big question first. When you look at the likes of Asperger's, dyspraxia, dyslexia and other sensory issues, is it a fact that today there's more of it around than maybe yesteryear. What do you say to that? Well, I have my own theories on this, Jerry. And to be honest with you, I think it's always been around. I think that there's more awareness around this now. But also, I think with the advent of um, mobile technology, the uh, iPhone being 11 years old last year, that children moving less and on more tech, that maybe children who had uh, some traits of the, such as, for example, dyspraxia, where a lot of children, not all, might have uh, quite weak muscles or a weak core, or weak hands, coordination issues. 
those children um, back in my day when I was growing up on a farm in Monaghan would have been jumping around, jumping off gates, going on bikes all day. And I often say to people, I think some of those children, in effect, almost therapied themselves out of it. Yes. Um, Whereas nowadays it's more prevalent because they're not. um, And there's nothing like exercise, going to the park, jumping off gates to, to know where your body space is and how much space to leave between words, for example, in a sentence. So for your dyslexia, your autism, your Asperger's and your sensory issues, this is much more prevalent. And I would see, Jerry, as I travel around the country, which I do, about five to six children with what I call SGO or something going on in every classroom in Ireland, not just your special classes, but in your mainstream yeah. classrooms. And that is the norm, right up to 50% in one inner city school, which be in a disadvantaged area with children with something going going on and that's due to trauma and you know other socio-demographic that's issues That's a as very well. interesting connection mm. you make isn't it mm. and it is a, 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 pro, a proven change mm-hmm. from, from those times to today mm-hmm. Now you've three of your own, Carla, Leo and Ivan. That's right. And each of them have, have uh, that, but use that abbreviation again. What SGO, something, <laughs> yeah, something going, going on. on. And to be honest, um, you know, I left my job originally in the, in the HSE. I took out a, a career break yeah. to try and help my oldest daughter because she was coming home from school. She was like a saint in school all day and she was coming home and bouncing off the walls. She was throwing chairs around the place. So she was having what we call meltdowns where she was out of control and she had sensory issues in that she's hypersensitive, lights are too bright, sounds are too loud, smells are too strong, clothing's uncomfortable, brushing her hair can be painful. Um, So when you're overloaded by all of your senses, even your inside senses, your stomach, your bowels, your bladder, your heart, all of those send messages to the brain. Um, It sends off fireworks and you have to try and control those fireworks before you can even learn a poem or learn Irish. And she had to try and block out what was going on in the classroom before she could learn anything from teacher. So she was, it was like the seven up bottle effect where I call like she was fizzing all day mm. and she she didn't blow until she was with someone she felt secure and safe with and that's usually mum or dad. So, you know, a lot of parents think it's a behavioural issue at schools, if it happens in school, they think that the child hasn't been disciplined enough, whereas in, effect, in, a, in fact there's a lot of this something going on. So what had she? What, what was up? So what was up was, and I didn't know it at the time, Jerry. I mean, I'm an OT, you'd think it's staring me in the face, but I was an adult OT. So I brought her to my GP, who's amazing in Cavan, and he thought at the time that she had Asperger's. Now, she had many traits of it, but when I looked at her closely, she doesn't. She has sensory issues, which is mm. one part of a jigsaw piece puzzle that you'll see in an autistic child. There, there are various others as well. But but she has the sensory part, as does my son, Um and they pre- present quite differently. So um, when I researched it more, Jerry, and I took time out and I studied it both informally and formally, I realised she has dyspraxia and I went on to get her formally tested, which would have been known historically as the clumsy child syndrome. And there's one of these children in every class room in Ireland. And we threw 3,200 primary schools in Ireland. So there's a lot of a these lot, kids. I would yes. say anywhere between sixty and 80,000 of these kids floating around. Mm. Mild, moderate, severe, somewhere mm. along those lines. Um, 
But with these, uh, what I call little traffic jams in the brain that cause dyspraxia, you often see sensory issues where uh, information comes in from your environment, it goes up to the brain for processing and says, mm, that smells nicer. Oh, um, that coffee smells nicer, tastes nicer. Oh, that smells disgusting. And when that volume button in some children is turned up too high, you'll see them covering their ears. You'll see them squinting. You'll see them screaming whenever they're in a, in a supermarket, as, as often happens. Um, or or you'll see them wriggling on a chair because clothing is uncomfortable or screaming because hair brushing. So they, they look quite normal and mm. in many and, and in respects they are, but they have these sensory issues where life is on overload for them. And that was the case with my, my daughter, Carla. So coming on to brain cam, mm. can brain cam deal with this? Mm. Yeah. What is it? What is brain cam? So brain cam is a 15 minute a day set of really simple exercises. They're historical occupational therapy exercises. But the difference is, is I took specific exercises. I put them in a specific format and each are done for a very specific length of time. Um, They're very, very simple. Um, It can be done in school or it can be done at home. It's done for um, five days a week. Um, Of course, you can take the two week days at the weekend off and it's a 24 week programme. It's progressive. And basically what it does, Jerry, is it smooths out traffic jams in the brain. And in these kids, you'll have a little glitches in the neurons and the little super highways in the brain. But also between the right and left side of the brain, there's a bridge that connects the right and left side of the brain, kind of like the Boyne Bridge, if you can imagine it, that goes over the river. And Um, When that bridge, which oftentimes it is, is a little too thin in these kids, the brain feels uncomfortable because the right and left side isn't having a good conversation with each other. And what Brain Cam does through the exercises is it builds thickness in that bridge and it also smooths out traffic jams in the neurons in the brain. Um, It sounds very, very technical, um, but it's actually really, really simple. And I've taught it to 5,000 people so far um, across the country, but mostly special needs assistance take kiddies out in groups of three in schools they bring them to a quiet room they run through this very simple group of exercises with minimal equipment it's very very inexpensive yoga mats and ball therapy balls and I've kept it that way so it's simple and cheap for schools to run Um, kids go in bouncing off the walls and they can come out like little lambs it's someone said to me last week I was in Derry that it's like medicating a child without giving them medication which sounds a bit mad but it it has that effect on some kids so through physical exercise and movement mm-hmm. and sticking to a plan. Well, they're very specific, Jerry. And what I do um, through my research in the States and here and Canada is I work really, really intensely on the balance centre of the brain. So it's it's very specific. It's not just general mm. exercises. So mm. I work really, really intensely. For example, I have a specific sized balance beam that I have the children cross um, during the, the process of the um, the, the programme. Um, and we have a, a wobble cushion, some wobble boards where we get the child to stand on and do activities on that to work that balance centre really, really hard. So it is quite specific, but very, very easy to run out. Mm, But the Mm. results... 
are results, really, really good. Thank God, yeah. I was quite shocked myself. So some of the results that have come back from the schools and from parents who do it at home are better attention and concentration because we're really struggling with that in right across the board. Um, we've seen better writing. We've seen a, a great reduction in fidgeting, moving, squirming, um, barn crash walloping in the yard, as I call it. Your biter, chewer, licker, sniffers. So they're children who are seeking a child, which is another type of sensory issue, which my son has. Um, we've seen um, an, an up an upsurge in language in some children who are struggling with language. A lot of um, teachers from ASD units, autism units come to me for training. Um, we've seen an up, an upgrade in their um, self-esteem, their happiness. So it's for those children really, Jerry. who I love mindfulness and, and I practice it myself. But there are some children who are so brain fizzed, as I call it, and they're so anxious and they're being branded as being behaviourally poor yeah. that they cannot get themselves into a state of mindfulness. So what we do with Brain Cam is we actually physically put them into a state of mindfulness. And it's kind of like you saying, Brenda, have you got a Panadol? I have a headache. And I'd say, Jerry, yes, here you go. You get instant relief from it. Some kids within a couple of days, some kids who are what we call very dysregulated, um, it might take a couple of weeks for it to kick in. But it is it, it's the the most empowering thing that I've ever taught to for SNAs who are fabulous. They're on the front line with these kids. They're not given an awful lot of training in this. Teachers, primary school teachers and preschool teachers, they're not taught this in St. Pat's and there is more awareness now, but they're mm. not taught even a module in this stuff. So they're really trying to teach kids in the classroom with some kids up walking around, some kids constantly shouting out, some kids kicking the chairs, some kids throwing rubbers across the room. And um, one school that I uh, dealt with actually in County Me this week where two boys were getting in terrible trouble out in the yard. So not only are they doing their 15 minutes a day, we're introducing other pieces of brain cam at different times in the day to settle those boys before they go out on yard and to settle their nervous system down while they're out on yard, such as instead of reprimanding the the kids, bringing them to one side and putting them into a plank, Mm. you know, like a plank that any of us Mm. might do in the gym and having them beat each other's time. That's a real simple thing that, you know, whoever's on yard can do when they see something starting to kick off. Bring them over to one side and get the heebie-jeebies out of them. That's what Isn't it, it so interesting? Mm. Let's take a short break. Brenda Cassidy is staying with us. We're talking about brain calm on late lunch this afternoon. Can I ask you a few things about it? The effectiveness of it is mm. without doubt proven. Does it work for every child? It works for about 80% of the children, um, Jerry. So we did a, a pilot in a school, pretty tough inner city school, South Inner City Dublin. And we found for about 80% of the children, it either had a good effect, a great effect or an unbelievable effect. Um, okay. It's very hard to quantify Yeah, but that's it. a high percentage. It is high. Um, and we, we found that, you know, even if a child isn't able to attend to their work for five minutes, if they're able to attend to it for 10 or 15 minutes, that's a a big percentage Mm. jump and Mm. it's a big relief for the teacher or the special ed teacher. Um, For the children who, the other 20% that we struggled with, um, one part of it they would really like, which was usually there's a little calming section at the the end where we roll a ball up and down a child's back. Um, They all love that. Um, But for children who truly, truly have ADHD, which is a different type of brain um, condition, where there's a chemical 
um, thing going on, you know, there's an Mm. imbalance in in chemistry there. So those children, if they truly have ADHD, they need to be medicated. From what age do you work with children at the lower end and the Mm. upper scale? So we start at age four. Um, So many children in preschools have taken on brain cam. Um, Now, they might not get through the whole 15 minutes because by the nature of these children, they're very little. in nearly all of the schools where I've taught it, a lot of the junior infants are going through it because I can tell you there are a lot of dysregulated junior infants coming into school nowadays that mightn't have been in the past and for all the reasons that we spoke mm. about. Um, but more and more, I try to get these children as we call, what we call regulated before they leave primary school. Okay. Because when they co- are coming to fifth class and sixth class, the hormones are kicking in. And if you don't catch a child before the hormones kick in and then they leave and go to secondary school where all hell can possibly break loose and they're not looked after by one teacher all day every day and you know things can really go awry so what I really aim to do and I teach the parents and the schools to do is to put the child through brain cam and after they do 24 weeks of this program they learn which pieces of it will settle themselves. So they learn how to self-regulate themselves. It's quite amazing to see. So in my living room at home, for example, Jerry, we have a, a big therapy ball, like a yoga ball. And my son, Leo, who's 11, he will come in from school like a, a bag of cats. So he's jumping all over. So he's what I call a chronic fidgeter mover squirmer. He can be jumping off the back of the sofas. He's up on the trampoline. So we have to let him self-regulate before he sits down to homework or we're getting nothing done, OK? So so he will go over to the therapy ball and he'll roll himself back and cro- back and forth across that therapy ball. Or if he needs to jump and move, he'll go up on the trampoline. So he has learned how to self-regulate himself. And that's a gift. That's a real gift if you can show those kids how to make their brains feel calm. You know, if my daughter, who's now in first year in Loretto in Cavan, she knows that she's overwhelmed by too much noise and light and sound and her body from the dyspraxia, her muscles get tired very easily. So she knows, we know not to talk to her when she comes in from school. She goes up, pulls the covers over her head and she stays there until such times as she has come down the, the, the ladder of arousal, as I call it, and she's ready and good to go. So it, that is the magic. That's where the magic happens, Jerry. is where we can get teach kids to self-regulate. But uh, more and more pri- uh, secondary schools are coming to me now. But anyone, I even do it if I have to speak at a big conference. I was in New York recently launching mm. Brain Cam um, and I'll have to bring a wobble cushion with me and stand on it and throw a catch and ball so I can bring myself into an arousal level that I'm calm enough to, yes. to give a big talk. So I even use it myself. Prisons could use it. Mm. Corporates could use it. Anyone who's stressed um, suffers anxiety. It's, it's, it's a little piece of magic. And the demand for this is such that you have now have seven tutors, That's you're right. on Line as well, you know, you're yeah. quite in demand across yeah. the board. You well, know, what happened, Jerry, over the last two years was it, it's so simple and so effective and so cheap that um, word spread very, very quickly. And I have now taken on seven tutors who are heavily trained by myself. They've come to another a number of my courses. 
they all practice brain cam themselves in their own setting. One's even a principal down in Mullingar, one's an OT up in Donegal. Um, so they will be running workshops around the country Drumcondra, Kildare, Mullingar, Cork, Limerick, Galway, Mayo, and Donegal. And I'll run some myself in the Cavan Monaghan area. Okay. Um, and that'll be happening in September, October time. But parents and schools can also learn it uh, as an online course, which puts the fear of God in some people. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. People, but I've designed it in such a way that even for SGO people doing it, it's very simple. It's all done with videos. Hopefully, my warmth comes across in the videos. Well, it's coming across oh, today good. on the airwaves of me. Let me <laughs> say, I'm, gl- I'm glad. Absolutely. Um, and it's, so it's really uh, my mission is to get it out to people who really need it. And for the price of one and a half private therapy sessions, you get a 24 week program that that really works. Mm. Here's yeah. some questions coming in good, from yeah. listeners for you today. Mm-hmm. Um, Does the programme work with second level kids? You've just mentioned Mm -hmm. there that you are rolling it out beyond the primary now into the second level as well. Does everyone in the class take part in this, Gerry, even those who may not uh, yet have been diagnosed? That's a really good question. So no, not everyone takes part. The SNA, for example, would take three children out at a time to a quiet room to to do brain cam. Um, having said that, oftentimes they will take a child maybe who's diagnosed and oftentimes, more often, children with no diagnosis at all, but who need a little bit of help. So they don't necessarily need to have SNA access. Uh, I think what your listener is talking about there are sensory breaks, which is a movement break where children get up and move about every 45 minutes, Mm. which we should all do because we lose focus and concentration. Mm. Um, And that is something separate that I do teach to schools as well as to how to run effective um, movement breaks. But the brain cam is it's like putting a cut putting a band-aid on a cot if you know what I mean yeah another one here uh, what about a child who doesn't have sensory issues but suffers with anxiety would this be helpful yes hugely um we were talking during the break there. I developed this in a really tough inner city school in Dublin. And we had a number of children with not even SGO, EGO, everything going on. I didn't even know what was going on with some of these children. They were never diagnosed, never would be. But we had a huge amount of children traumatised, um, you know, children suffering with anxiety. And even in any school in the country, you've got mum and dad maybe at home arguing about the mortgage or, you know, two parents working and they're busy all the time. Things maybe not going smoothly at home any anxiety to haul your quiet little child in the back of the class this can work brilliantly for them as well 
the uh, SGO, that's going to stay with me for a long time. <laughs> Do you know that? You've, that term is really brilliant. I think it is, and it doesn't uh, compartmentalise mm. or anything, and it does generalise, and it says it all, mm. doesn't it? Well, all over the country, um, uh, teachers and parents of, of children with autism, which is not where I set out with this uh, yes. plan at all, but they have come to me for help. And I found that parents who were pre-diagnosis were desperately scared of getting a diagnosis with any whiff of autism. Now autism really is a spectrum. It goes right across the rainbow. Um, So, you know, you could have a child with very, very mild autism with some sensory issues. But when I say SGO to a parent, you can see them visibly become relieved and I tell them to don't not to eat the whole elephant but just tackle a little bit of a time just deal with what you see in your child help that and then move on to the next thing and don't be overwhelmed by the whole thing yeah so I'm sure you've rung a bell I I really mean this with a lot of people today who are anxious and worried about their child Mm. you know what I mean at home or at school etc I know it's coming to the end of term now but Mm. (laughs) you know the year flies round and we're away again how do people find out more? If they're listening today and they want to get yeah. in touch with you and engage with yeah. you, how? So my website, uh, www.brendacassidy.com, it's not .ie, or even just Google Brain Cam and you'll find me. Or drop me an email, brenda at brendacassidy.com. I'm around, I travel a lot, so I will get, come back to you in a day or a couple of days. But if there are parents, um, or grandparents even out there who are listening and they want to get in touch with their school about this, their school will likely know about me even if they don't practice um, brain cam yet they may well know about me so brenda brendacassidy.com jerry don't let her go for a second <laughs> just tuned in fascinating would this help a child who's non-verbal yes we have a lot of children who are non-verbal asd who are brought through it using pictures yeah okay so it does apply there uh, and any uh, child with sensory issues as well okay yeah. and if you want to Brenda's just given her contact details mm-hmm. we'll have them here off the usual number 1850 and we can pass them on to you I really like you and what you do, I have to say. <laughs> I really do. And I'm on a mission I, I, and of self-help. You are, yeah. and you are doing a fantastic job as well. We've uh, just come across you lately. Brain Cam is the name, uh, and uh, thank you again, Brenda, for taking time to drop into us on Late Lunch today. Thank Thanks, you. Jerry. She's back and we're delighted to have her, spa- have her back with us. Councillor Barbara Kelly is here to answer some of your questions this afternoon. Good to see you again, Barbara. Thank Hiya, you very Jerry. much for joining me once more on the show. Let's get straight to it because temp is fugitive. Listen to this one. Is there such thing as a platonic relationship between a man and a woman. Here's the situation. My husband loves walking, but I don't. And in the past couple of years, he's teamed up with a walking buddy who happens to be one of my best friends. They walk together a couple of evenings during the week and from time to time at weekends when they're away for the day as part of a walking group. My friend is single, attractive and really great fun to be with. And I can understand why my husband enjoys walking with her. But I'm now concerned that their friendship may be deeper. Am I just being paranoid? And and should I raise my concerns with my husband? Barbara, over to you. Good question. Uh, First of all, to say absolutely men and women can be just friends, just to clarify that one. Um, And secondly, you know, when when I was looking at this uh, listener's question, I, I was thinking about, you know, I feel maybe the issue here is more to do with, you know... 
you know, is it that her husband is spending a lot of time with somebody else? Not necessarily because it's her friend or whatever, but just that he's spending a lot of time with somebody that isn't her. Um, and also the fact that the listener mentions here about her friend being, you know, attractive and funny and things like that. And, you know, so I'm wondering as well, maybe is this listener feeling a bit low in herself, maybe her self-esteem or confidence, you know, because there's nothing else to indicate here that there's any reason to think there's any anything inappropriate, you know, and I think the listener is saying that, you know, it's just a feeling that she's getting or, or that she's worried about something. So I wonder here, you know, is this really an issue all around balance? You know, so does this um, listener have her own hobbies, interests, her own, own social life, things like that? Um, or is she literally sitting at home waiting for the husband to come home? And that will just make things feel really out of proportion. Um, and then also, you know, maybe does she need to sit down, have a chat with the husband about planning time together, making time for each other? Because sometimes, you know, couples with lives and kids and work and everything, you do forget that it's important to put that time in to each other. You know, the whole date night and all of this. And what can happen is you take your eye off that and then it might appear that one person in the couple has more of a social life or has more hobbies. And then people can feel resentful or can feel forgotten. Um, And then I think as well, maybe the listener could look at maybe doing a little bit of her own personal work, maybe doing a little bit of self, you know, personal development around what maybe with counselling to build her own self-esteem, her own confidence. Even think about maybe could she start broadening her own social circle, meet up with a few other people and, you know, look at hobbies, things like that. And maybe even, you know, go back and do a course or look at her career and see, does she want to maybe challenge herself? It just sounds maybe that she's a little bit stuck and maybe she's looking at her partner who seems to be, you know, in a much better place. Is it important for two people to have and maintain their own interests at all times? Oh, 100%. 100%. And that's a real case here. It's like, you know, that lack of balance seems to be there that... Like I said, if somebody's literally sitting at home watching the clock, waiting for their their partner to come home from the gym or come home from whatever, the hobby golf or whatever, that person can then feel as if, hold on a minute, I'm here at home and they're out having a great time. This isn't fair. I'm forgotten about. And actually, maybe it's that you need to say I too should be out there, you know, hobbies, interests, social life and absolutely do some of it together as a couple but also do some of it yourself. It's also great to have stuff to talk about. Mm. I know myself, I don't want to go out on a date night with my husband and just talk about the kids for (sighs) two and a half, three hours. It is good to talk about other interests and hobbies as well. Should she address this full on with him and say, listen, I'm worried you're spending a lot more time with my friend and myself. Should she go straight in? It's it's certainly not my place to say, (laughs) but but if it was me, I would not jump to that place just yet. I would more look and see, is this actually about me? And is it maybe just that I I'm feeling forgotten. And if that's okay, listen, that's not a big deal. You know, work on the relationship, make some more time together, work on your own hobbies and interests. At the end of the day, you know, any healthy relationship must be built on trust. Okay. It's, you know, it's trust, it's, it's respect. And that's that's relationships as in romantic relationships, but also friendship. And if she's also feeling this way about her friend, you know, what's that about as well? You know, d- does she t- trust this friend or is actually yeah. this just something that's about maybe her own issues. So Don't arrange the alternative on the same days as the walk-in. Does that go without saying? <laughs> or would you say, listen, give up the walk-in this week and let's do something? 
gosh, well, that's getting a bit kind of mucky, isn't it? To go choose, <laughs> pick, pick them yeah. or me. No, yeah, yeah, I would yeah. look work around it. Work around it. Exactly. I think that's a good suggestion. Now, next one. I'm in a relationship with a man who has two teenage children from a previous marriage who come to stay with us most weekends. Initially, it worked out fine. However, it's now clear they don't like me and make no bones about it when they're here. My partner does his best to calm the waters, but it's simply not working. And to be honest, I'd rather not be round when his children come to stay. I realise he loves them and needs to spend time with them. It's just that my situation is now intolerable. What should I do? I feel like ending our relationship and asking him to leave my home. Now, that may be significant there, Mm. my home, even though I love him deeply. I think a lot of people can relate to this, you know, moving on to another relationship and sometimes it doesn't transition easily and there can be lots and lots of hurt and anger and lots of of things going on. I feel in this situation there's three main issues um, first of all we have the listener who you know who wrote in and she's really struggling you know here she is she's almost feeling do, do I have to end this relationship so you know I, I kind of feel she doesn't want to make the partner choose but almost she feels like she's having to choose so mm. that's a really difficult situation to be in and then secondly we have you know two teenage okay I don't know how old they are but mm. they are still technically ch- children and they're this gentleman's children and they're you know maybe they're also struggling we don't know the backstory here there's a third issue here and this is you know we have to also not forget about the partner the, the father in the situation of these two teenagers he has a role in this and a responsibility in managing what's going on here what's sort of bubbling away and um, and especially, you know, like if these two young adults are struggling, you know, it could be something to do with maybe their, the breakdown of the, the marriage. Maybe they're struggling around that or maybe it's the fact that their father's moving on in a new relationship. Or maybe, you know, sometimes what can happen is when when a, a couple break up, sometimes the mother or father may be holding on to hostility. The fact that the other partner has moved on and maybe speaking badly at home. Then we've got two teenagers perhaps listening to this, carrying that hostility. Very unfair, very unhealthy. We don't know what the backstory here is, but it's very clear that these teenagers are not in a good place when it comes to the transitioning on with with this new relationship. So whatever the issue, I think it comes down to the father, the partner in this situation, his role and responsibility. It's his role and his responsibility to set clear boundaries with his teenage children in relation to how they are when they are in this lady's home. You know, this is her home that he is now living in and these children are coming to visit. They don't have to be best friends. If anything, that's not where we want to go with this. But there does need to be, a, you know, set a clear boundaries about respect um, whilst they are in, in her company. And equally, how she treats them too, you know, mutual respect. And also then his role and responsibility about maybe getting those teenage children some support themselves. If they are struggling around issues, you know, maybe they do need to sit down as a family and and just, you know, tie things up about how the relationship ended or maybe they need to even have individual counselling. I don't know. But this father needs to look at the needs of those teenagers as well because there's obviously something going on for them. So it's back to him, really. I he feel, is the yeah. is the kernel of this whole yeah. thing. He is at yeah. this at, at the point where he can sort this out. Absolutely, they're his children, and this is his his new partner. And you know, it is not okay that this listener is feeling so uncomfortable in her own home. And it's equally, you know, it's not okay that these teenagers don't have the clear boundaries. But those clear boundaries may need to be set for them mm. and reinforced. You know. Um, and also they may need to address some underlying issues. So, like I said, I would suggest that 
the listener maybe sits down with her partner in a calm way and maybe even in in couple work that can be very helpful to have it kind of facilitated and explore you know maybe the role that the partner could could be doing when it comes to his teenagers maybe you know how they can set boundaries and and mutual respect and all and and address the underlying issues and things like that just to move forward Mm. Um, because I think it's really important in situations like that that we don't fall into you know this pattern that can happen of this dysfunctional dynamic where the new partner starts kind of almost parenting these teenagers and then they'll they'll start you know obviously answering back and rebelling and then all of a sudden the father is kind of well which side do I pick nobody wins in that situation it's either going to be the teenagers and daddy on one side and the partner on the other doesn't work it is about you know the the father setting the clear boundaries um, making sure that there's uh, respect and all of that going on rather than dividing <laughs> teams and divide and conquer kind yes. of you know excellent excellent Barbara thank you short break on late lunch if you want to put a question to Barbara Kelly you can late lunch at lmfm.ie is our email address you can get in touch with us in many ways across social media as well in confidence we promise you but we'll be back with more scenarios from listeners after this short break Counsellor and psychotherapist Barbara Kelly is with us on Late Lunch. Here's the next one, uh, Barbara. I'm really worried about my friend, but I don't know how to help her. We met a year ago in a mother and toddler group and became very close as we both moved from abroad to live in Ireland and knew nobody. We would meet in the group every week and spend hours chatting over social media and she told me all about her wonderful husband and how great their relationship is. However, last week I visited her home for the first time and whilst I was there, her husband arrived home from work unexpectedly. He appeared appeared very irritated to see me there and didn't even say hello. When my friend was in the kitchen talking to him, I overheard him speaking so horribly to her. When she came back into me, she acted like nothing was wrong but made excuses that she needed to attend an appointment she'd forgotten about, so I had to leave. I messaged her later and told her that I had heard how her husband had spoken to her, but I haven't heard from her since. What should I do? I'm so worried that she may be in an abusive marriage. But I, but how do I get her to see it and leave him? By God, that's a big mm, jump on, isn't it? Isn't it? It's a very difficult situation to be in, you know, if, if you ever feel that you know somebody who's in an unhealthy uh, relationship or even if it's something you suspect. It's, it's a very uncomfortable to have that feeling that somebody else could be really struggling. Um, but I think it's really important not to jump to conclusions and not to, you know, <laughs> immediately overreact. Um Maybe, you know, look, let's be honest, maybe they had a big argument that morning and we don't know what the backstory is and neither does this listener. Um, And maybe this was something out of character. I don't know. But at the same time, even if this relationship is, you know, not great and and this listener has witnessed a little piece of of obviously something that's quite unhealthy, um, I do think it's important that the listener is aware of her own boundaries for her sake as well as for her friend. you know, I think she has done exactly the right thing. She's let the friend know that she's she's there and that if she wants to talk, the friend obviously didn't reply. Maybe the friend is even embarrassed. Who knows? Um, I would say, look, you know what? Maybe give give this friend a call or a text again and, and in a week or, you know, let some time settle and say, look, let's meet up for a coffee. Um, and if you, if you do sit down and just say, look, I'm not going to pressure you. I'm not going to judge you. But if you ever want to talk, you can talk. And maybe the friend will feel comfortable to open up or maybe... The friend will say, look, you got him on a bad day and I'm embarrassed or whatever. 
all you can do in that situation really is just let somebody know you're there and you, you're there to listen and you're not going to jump in and try. To, and that's why I'm saying about boundaries. I, I know of situations where people have really jumped in and have, you know, almost um, had this this relationship down as an abusive relationship and an abusive husband. And actually, that was not what was going on. And I think we need to just be careful. So keeping the door open, keeping communication there, letting this friend know she can come. And then if the friend does confide that actually it's an unhealthy relationship, she now has somebody that she can can talk to. Mm. And I think, again, when we talk about boundaries, it's important that the listener remember she's not there to be this friend's counsellor. She's not there to be a social worker. She's there as a friend. And what she can do is then as the friend opens up, if she does open up and if this relationship isn't healthy, she can then suggest the supports that would be appropriate. So such as, you know, Things like maybe counselling or, you know, in situations if, you know, women's aid, the guards, if anything was going into the abusive side. Now, there's obviously children involved here too. So again, you know, TUSLA, that's the the child um, and family services. They would also be a very useful service for this lady if she she felt that um, the relationship wasn't a healthy one. But again, the first thing to do is just to keep communication going. Let the friend know she's there, but she will not judge, you know, and that's that's what her role is at this point. Yeah, she's really jumping on there three or four steps yeah. beyond with it, with the yeah. final part of that there to leave him, etc. You're yeah. right, you know what I mean? Step back a little from the but situation. I, but equally, you know, and I think it's important that we remember um, we often hear these horror stories where people say they, they knew stuff was going on yes. and they did nothing. Mm. Often our gut is great at telling us something doesn't fit right something's not right I'm not saying turn a blind eye and ignore it that's what is wrong with things in society what I'm saying is keep the door open so this friend knows she can talk to somebody she can share she can trust there's a difference oh there is a huge difference yeah. but you're so right as well like a uh, non-intervention at times or not being there yes. or, or if you actually witness eye. something yes. and you see something that actually that is abusive yes. then you act you need to act at that yeah. stage we'll get another one in I'm at my wits end I'd say this is a common one my daughter is due to sit her junior cert in a few weeks and she's done nothing our days are now consumed with me arguing with her to study and her shouting and crying I'm so worried that she'll fail and her future will be affected by a lack of motivation and downright laziness she wouldn't be a very academic student so I keep telling her that she needs to study even harder than others but it's like she's doing the opposite to everything I say help Yes, what 15 or 16 year old doesn't mm. do the opposite to what we say? Yeah. You know, oh God, how many people can relate to this whether it's the junior cert or, or even you know the school exams and stuff Yeah, look I really say at this situation, stop and be realistic. What actually is the purpose of the junior cert or the, or the exams, summer exams? Really, what they're about is, yes, it does assess and grade your knowledge up to this point. But also it's about life skills as well. It's about teaching our young adults things like time management, stress management. They are really important life skills, not just for exams but for everything moving forward. And I think we forget about that sometimes. And what happens is we then as parents think we have to make them study. We have to make them. And we might resort to things like all your friends are studying and you're not or, you know, and and arguments and I just say stop and look at what exactly you want. We want for our young adults to have those life skills where they are self-disciplined, self-driven, and um, where not not that I'm saying they're going to jump out of bed and want to study every day, but that they will take responsibility and they know the consequences that if I don't study, I'll fail and that they will own that. And, you know, and I think that 
it's important that we start to really do that with young adults instead of this sort of hot housing that sometimes we fall into. Um, it's kind of like letting them make mistakes sometimes, which is very hard as a parent, let's be honest. <laughs> and it's our role as, as, as parents to support and encourage them. Um, but also acknowledge that they're learning some really important life skills but when they do make mistakes. So maybe it's about, you know, this listener saying, right, what is it that my role is? What can I do? So providing the space for, for the daughter to study. So, you know, a nice warm room that's quiet with a, with a desk or a table, the pens that she'll need and, you know, maybe a few little treats through having breaks while she's studying. No distractions, no phones, that kind of thing. And um, that's what the, the role of the parent is. And then, you know, maybe the the focus is on the effort that this, you know, that any student makes rather than the grades that they get. So, for example, you know, a lot of parents might think of saying something like, right, if you come home and you study after school each day this week, what you can do then is you can have half an hour, an hour later on on your phone or whatever. So it's about bartering, really, isn't it? Um, Or even things like, you know what, if you study each evening this week, Friday we'll have a domino pizza or whatever. Um, And it's just about give, take, come to compromise but it's also about backing off a little bit. It is indeed and uh, as Barbara and said it is I just a marker quickly, in time. Yeah, could I also just quickly say something really important. How important it is for our young adults to have downtime as well. It is so important in the run up to any exams or any pressures like this that they are they look after their mental health and that they don't just focus on the A's and B's that they also look after their mental health have some relaxation meet up with friends every now and again that they also get that balance Barbara Kelly thank you so much Thanks, see you Jerry. again soon he travelled recently to Florida for the World Global Swim Series and guess what he returned as a double world champion he was swimming in the under 19 category but he won the senior men's as well. He's a member of Drogheda Triathlon Club and I'm delighted to welcome a world champion, Jack McCullough, from Clarehead to Late Lunch. Jack, really good to see you. Thank you too, Jerry. Thank, thank you. you for joining me. Congratulations to you. Thank you very much. What an achievement this is. Tell us the story. Uh, how, first of all, do you need to qualify for these world finals in the States? Uh, no, you don't need to qualify. You just go direct, is it? You can go directly, yes. And do you do you have to be of a standard before you get in there? Do you have to prove that to them, or, or give them your credentials to know that you're, you know, you're going to be a viable competitor? Uh, no, not particularly. It just depends on how devoted you are, and if you want to win. Okay, to go in really. Okay, so you decided I am going to take this on. What's involved? What did you win? What was the under nineteen? What was the... The competition. What was it? What did you have to do? How far did you swim? Where did you swim? I had to swim uh, 11 kilometres in Lido Keys in Florida. In the Keys, in the sea? It was around the island, Lido yes. Key Island. Okay, so 11 kilometres that. 11 kilometres, And that was yes. for the under-19 event? And the... And the Same for the yes. senior. The two so, were in the one. Okay, right. So which... Uh, tell me this, when you went out there, you went with your dad, Porrick, did you go in advance to practice out there and acclimatise? I did, yes. We went a few days beforehand to acclimatise on the beach and I'd done a, f- a good bit of swimming okay. in the sea. Did you swim the course? Uh, no, I didn't swim the course. No. In advance at all? No, not in advance, no. Okay. And when it came to the day of the competition, there was a bit of an issue, wasn't there, whether it would happen or not happen? Yes, because the day beforehand there was a storm. So the the weather was quite choppy and they didn't exactly know if the race would go through. Okay, so what happened in the end? They gave it the go-ahead, yes? They did, yes. But your dad had to do something, hadn't he? Had he to accompany you around the, the track? He did, for safety reasons. He had to go on a kayak. 
So each competitor had to have somebody with them, had they? Correct, yeah. On the swim. Yeah. So there's a lot of people around the world enter this thing. Yeah. What are you talking about number-wise? So a, all around the world, there was over 100,000 that would compete in the races. They were all over the world, yeah. all these different races. And it depends on how many races you do, the positions you come and the times as well, your, how fast you are. So a, all of that is added up okay. to determine where you come. And the best of that go forward to the worlds. Yeah. So th- that's what I'm saying to you. You didn't have to do that, no. A... What do you mean, like... You know, the way you say people qualified for this World Series final in Florida. Did you have to... I'm coming back to that again. You had times or qualification done? Yes, yes, I did, yeah. Okay, so you did that. Just to clarify that, you qualified to get there. So everybody that's there in the final is the best of the best from that 100,000 in the world. They would have been, yeah. They all would have... Oh, yeah. So you're among the elite when you get here. It's lost. So what happens? How many took part in the final then? I think a 150 to 200. Okay, we're in the final itself. Yeah. Did you have any idea what you were up against or how fast the others were or how good they were? No, I didn't. I just knew my main competition was in the race just beforehand. Oh. A, a a Canadian named Robert Landrewalt. Okay. Yeah. That he was, was the favourite, was he? A, yeah, he was... To win it. ...coming up next to me, so... Okay. Okay, so this guy was the, the fancied fella, Canadian fella. So off you go. 11 kilometres round this island. What stroke do you use? What sw- swimming stroke is it? A freestyle. Okay. So front crawl. All right. So, and that's all the way round? All the way round, yeah. So off you all dive in, the 150 to 200 of you. Do you realise how well you're doing as you go round? And did you take the lead earlier? What happened? Not, I didn't know. The, the, the fast, it was, ve- it was sorry, the, the start, it was quite fast. Everybody was everywhere, mm. you know. And there was kayaks in front as well. I wasn't used to that. So even more confusing yeah, with the boats yeah. in the water. Okay. But I broke off with a main group of 10 swimmers quite early on in the race. Right. About 3K. The first 3K, like, there was, uh, the sun was in the eyes, you know, and uh, it was quite choppy as well. Okay. And they told us that the first 3K would be the hardest in the race. Mm but it wasn't. <laughs> you sailed through it, yeah. Yes. No pun yes. intended there, you swam through it. Anyway, on you go beyond three kilometres and um, you're moving through and do, you're in a breakaway pack of ten. Do you see people falling away? Do you find you're on your own? Yeah, yeah, I do, yeah. I find that I'm going <laughs> So ahead. you hit the front, do you? Yeah, yeah. How far away from the 11 kilometres are on the journey round? I, I'd say past the 3k mark, probably on to the 4k mark. Okay, so you make an early burst for it here and you lead all the way then to the finish. Uh, yes, correct. It's hard making the running from that distance out, is it? It is, yeah. And I didn't really have a clue as well. <laughs> you just kept ploughing along. Yeah, well, there was some behind me. Yeah. Because like, your dad right communicated with you from yeah, there. Yeah, he was. Was yeah. he giving you the thumbs up saying? He was, and he was screaming at me that so-and-so is behind me. <laughs> keep on going, so. keep on going, Jack. Yeah, Come yeah. on, we're moving along here. We're in the lead here. We're going to make it. Yeah, yeah. And you do. You cross the line in first place. I beat my main competition, yes. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And that was that was a combined race, senior and under nineteen, was it? Yeah. The one race. So you entered in the in both categories. Yeah. So is that pretty unique to win the nineteen and the senior event simultaneously? Yes, I don't think it's been done before. So ever. Ever, no. So Jack McCullough, you are unique. Nobody else has ever done this in the past. What did that feel like? A 
at first I, it, it, I, it didn't hit me, but after a while it did. It pr- pr- started pr- pretty to dawn good, yeah. Yeah, to win that. Uh, against, when you think it starts off with over 100,000 worldwide and narrows down to the 150 to 200 in the final, and then you're tops of the whole lot. Listen, you are some swimmer. How long are you swimming? When did you start swimming? At what, at what age? So I started swimming at about 10 years of age. Okay. And I got into swimming because... When we when we were in Lanzarote on a holiday, my father and uncle threw me into the pool, and I loved it. So they put me into uh, swimming lessons in Aura, and I went through the levels. And then one of the coaches suggested I do the community games. Mm. So I went into the community games. I won my first ever race in swimming the community games. So that was a main motivator as well. What distances did you do in the pool? In uh, the community games. Yes. The community games is fifty meters. Okay. And was it freestyle again there? No, brushstroke. Okay. Yeah. All right, so you go with that. So you're progressing, you win in the community games. What happens from there? How, how does this continue? So then I went into uh, Aer Lingus Swim Club up in Dublin. Mm. And uh, I quite early on, I went into the senior group. I was with training with 25-year-olds. So oh, and what age were you? 12. I was the youngest in the group at the time, in the squad. <laughs> Uh, this is a story. Twelve years of age, and you at the senior. And I have to say to your mum and dad, my God, they really uh, helped you and aided you in your swimming career. What time used you to get up in the mornings to go to Erlingus? So half three to four o'clock in the in the morning. And you'd be in the pool for how long? Two hours. Two then hours back in. home and into school. Into school. Then school would end, and I'd go back up again for another two hours. And you did that for several years. Done it for a good few years, yes. That is some dedication. It is, yeah. Did you ever think about it when you're in it? That, God, look what I'm doing here. I have to do this in the morning, go to school, do me day, do me studies, go back to the pool. Did, did, did that, you know, dawn on you at all, how busy you were? No, because I got used to it from such an early age, so it was just part of the day, You really. just took it as being normal, Jack. Yeah, just as normal. So you progressed along, did you, I take you won more events in the pool... Yeah, so won numerous Leinsters and All-Ireland titles as well. Did you? Yeah, breaststroke mainly, that stroke. Mm. A 100 metres, 200 metres distance and a 1,500 metres then in freestyle as well. So why this? Why go into this? Now, 11 kilometres is a hell of a swim. Now, I mentioned you're in the triathlon club as well and there's long swims involved there. Why are you going this route? So... With swimming up in Dublin, it was very much so just swimming. You know, I'd be training six days a week. Mm. And then I tried the sea swimming and I quite liked it. But I couldn't really... And I also was doing running as well. So I wanted to kind of just break away from the pool swimming. Okay. So I could train in other sports and in sea swimming as well, you know. Okay. Do you like the triathlon? I do, yeah. So involved in triathlon is swimming? A running? Running, yeah, and bike. Bike. So you've all three. Yeah. Were you successful there? Yes. The first ever competition I done in a triathlon was the All Irelands, and I won it. So <laughs> <laughs> another force for this young man. You are talented. Let me say. And besides all this, you're a clever boy as well because you've just uh, come through St Joseph's CBS, and you're now at UCD. DCU. DCU. Big part. God, that's very important to get them letters in the right <laughs> order. They'll kill me. DCU. Let me say again. He's at. And what are you studying there? I am studying religious education and history, so to become qualified as a secondary school teacher in religion and history. You're a young fella. Religious education is that? Is there a big lot in that class, or is it a 
pretty niche. There actually uh, would be quite a few. So, yeah. Say, yeah. So the ultimate aim is to become a teacher. Yeah. What about the swimming? Where to from here? You're double world champion. What are you going to do now? I keep on going. I'm going to Canada now on Thursday, and I plan on going over and swimming with the Canadian team as well. And this uh, guy you met. You know the Canadian. Will you yeah. be, will you meet him again? No, probably will. Yeah. Okay, he's, he's going to be there. He's going to be there. <laughs> and uh, I also have a perpetual trophy over there too for winning the worlds. So I plan on going to visit that, mm. and I have my own one too. So okay. And will you go back next year and defend these titles? Yes, I probably will. Oh, you'll have there's, to. There's competi- it's already began again. Has it? it has, all the yeah. heats around the world are happening again. All the races have But you're again. automatically going back as the champion. Yeah, I'm going over to do a few races now. So what did you get? Is, it the, is there any spondulux involved here? Did you get any money or is it just the trophy and the title? It's the trophy, the title, the prestige. You know? That's it. And the love of it. <laughs> yeah, I love, of it. love this. I did. I love it. It's true so. sport. It's nothing to do with anything else. Just the honour and the glory. What's it been like since you came back? Have you received adulation? I I have, yeah. But I'm still a bit in disbelief too, you know. So. I can see that. I got near a humble guy and a shy guy and a modest guy as well. But a most talented man, let me say. And and of course, you got received an awful lot of support from your family, your mum and dad. And I know Roseanne Dunnigan in the Monster yes, Voice yeah. in has been a great backer of yours and many others as well. Yeah, yeah. Without them, this couldn't have happened. Wouldn't, no. I, I'd like to name a few yeah, of them. Yeah, just come on, shout them out there quick before you go. So my main ones were Rosie, Roseanne, uh, Roseanne Dunnigan and Tommy Dunnigan in the Monster Boys mm. Inn. They were my main sponsors. I'd like to also t- thank uh, Standard Brands, Hanley Calibrations, Amel the Monster, Sinn Féin TD, Tom Cunningham, Sinn Féin TD, Wogan's Hardware in Dunlear, uh, Patrick Lavery, who owns the fitness room in Dunlear, a... Lizzie's Fruit and Veg Shop in Dunlear, Centra Dunlear, Eamon Victory, a Glitz and Glam's a Hairdressers Castle Bellingham, a and God, God, oh God Almighty, you have more sponsors, I think, than uh, Manchester City. And uh, there was also an Easter <laughs> raffle organised by Liz and Vanessa Devine too. I know that. And uh, draw the triathlon help uh, with a flag day they as did. well. They did. They gave you great support. So I'd as like well. to thank everybody. And thanks to all those people for supporting this great young man and making his dreams come true. You're a great one, Jack McCullough. Congratulations to you. Thank you. Very nice much. to see you on late lunch today. You Double too. world champion Jack McCullough in uh, the game of swimming. Wish you well in Canada and with your studies. And uh, please, God, more success is going to come your way down the road. Thanks for joining me on Late Lunch. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you very much indeed. That's a lot on Late Lunch for this afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. And we're going to leave you with the Pointer Sisters. Yes, believe it or not, he is Jack McCullough. He's so excited and so are we. See you tomorrow and have one.
LMFM podcasts. Brought to you with Cartmacross Credit Union. Getting hitched? Cartmacross Credit Union likes to say I do when financing your wedding loan. O'Neill Street, Cartmacross or cartmacrosscu.ie. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 